The former number one team in the country is now riding a three-game losing streak. And to be honest with you, given all the circumstances heading into this matchup with Indiana, it was the most likely outcome. You are Locked on Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, it's Thursday, December 1st, 2022. Welcome into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, the only daily North Carolina show out there. I'm your host, Isaac Shade, and I want to thank you for diving in with us. Today on the show, I want to look at, is it time for a lineup change? I've heard a lot of you saying that, and I want to process that. It's also time to start thinking about, is Carolina's NCAA tournament status in any kind of jeopardy? I know some some of the fan base is looking at that. We're going to talk about it. But first, I want to get into our Four Corners recap of Carolina's 77-65 loss to Indiana. For those of you who are new to the show, recapping every basketball game, I give a Four Corners recap where I just highlight four things I thought were really important in the game, and it's a way to honor Coach Dean Smith, as well as giving my shady stat of the game so we'll do that also first uh we did a live postcast on youtube after the game and uh there was an indiana fan all up in the comments on it it's kind of hilarious uh a mike woodson homer it's awesome but he was asking me what's going on with my hair and if i put it in rollers every morning and so for those of you that are listeners only um and not and don't watch the show at all i have this really long naturally curly hair i'll show it close to the camera for anybody who's watching uh, that is just my natural hair. God did this to me is what I always say. Uh, so anyway, love the Hoosiers fans getting all up in a tizzy about my hair. Deal with it. Love that. Okay, here we go. Four corners recap of this game. You ready? Number one, this is what I said off the top. To me, the two-game le- losing streak turning into a three-game losing streak was quite frankly the most expected outcome, the most likely outcome, perhaps I should say. Um, and so what I want to do is I know there's a lot of you out there that are probably moving at warp speed, freaking out. So let's just take a big group communal pause for a deep breath. You ready? One, two, three. <sighs> now, doesn't that just feel a little better to stop and not get all hyped up and hot and bothered about it? But very seriously, <laughs> heading into this Indiana game, just think about the circumstances that Carolina has been through. You are a college student who lives in the Eastern time zone, you fly to Portland, Oregon, and then you play on Thanksgiving morning at 10 a.m. local time. You win a close game against a team that's better than a lot of people give them credit for. And then the next day you come out and lay an egg against Iowa State, who frankly, you should have beaten if you had more energy and you would have. And then two days later, you play Alabama, much tougher, but ultimately lose. A game, another game you should have won, but it's four overtime, so that's part of it. Not to mention, it's a, a few guys playing all those minutes, and then you turn around, you don't even come home to Chapel Hill. Again, college students near the end of a, a semester head straight to Bloomington, Indiana, turn around and play this game in a hostile environment. You got Leaky Black that's banged up. You got Armando Baycott, who's coming off of some sort of shooting pain in his leg, not to mention getting his shoulder banged up early in the game. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Um, And then you've got other guys who've just played a ton of minutes. And so 
three games in four days in Portland, the last of which is four overtimes, flying back into uh, Indiana goes back and forth between Eastern zone and time zone. They like don't do daylight. Say, I don't know what's going on in Indiana. So I don't even know if Carolina is back in Eastern or central time zone. Of course, by the time you're listening to or watching this, they should be back in Chapel Hill. But anyway, when you think about it in all of those contexts, losing this game to Indiana is the most likely outcome. Now you still wish that Carolina could have come out and win the, won this game, but it just, it didn't happen and it wasn't going to. Um, so there's four corners. Number one, number two, same story, different day. Here we go again. The offense was stagnant. Let's highlight it by using the assist numbers. That's what I often look at. What I like to do is look at what I call assist percentage, meaning I just look at Carolina's made field goals and how many of what percentage of those were assisted on. In this game, it was five assists on 20 made baskets for an even 25% assist percentage. And if you're guessing, you're probably right that that's not very good. Looking back at last year as an example, the Tar Heels averaged, averaged <laughs> assisting on 54.1% of their made, or 54.8%. Anyway, in the 54 to 55 range of their made field goals, their highest in any single game this year is 54, 54%. Not averaging, highest. This one was 25%, and here's the sad reality. That wasn't even the lowest. They assisted on just 18% of their field goals in the first game against UNC Wilmington. Stagnant offense with bad offensive numbers. Part of that is that Carolina is settling for low percentage jump shots. Meanwhile, their, their opponents, in this case Indiana, are getting to the rim, running good offense, and getting layups. Who's going to win that battle? Because it's not like Indiana was hitting threes. They shot worse from three than Carolina did in this game, and Carolina shot miserably. But Indiana got to the rim and got a lot of layups. There was a streak as um, Indi as Indiana pulled out to about like a 13-point lead, and here's how this went. You ready? R.J. Davis, deep pull up from two, missed shot. Indiana takes the ball down the other way, scores a quick layup. Carolina comes back down the court. Leaky Black takes a fadeaway in the lane, miss. Indiana goes down, layup. Come back down the court. Caleb Love, contested jumper, miss. Indiana, layup. Carolina calls a timeout at that point, comes back from the timeout, can't get the ball inbounded, so it goes back to Indiana, who proceeds on a blob play, a baseline out-of-bounds play, to throw it right to the rim. Trace Jackson Davis, layup. That's, I mean, just, that's a microcosm of all of this that's going on. And, and I don't want to blame any one player in this. It's it's kind of a, a team thing right now. And I know they're all frustrated. I know they'd love to get this offense figured out, right? They, they know the deal. They live and breathe and drink this more than any of the rest of us do. Uh, four corners point number three is the RJ and Caleb check-in. We all know that it's been a rough start to the season for these guys from a shooting standpoint. They know it. They know they're not shooting at the level either of them are capable of with, with consistency, at least. And in this game, they were 9 for 27 from the field. That's right at 33%, lower than their combined field goal percentage for the season. From three, they were three for 10. And as odd as it sounds, that 30% that clip is higher because they were combined shooting under 30% from three coming into this game. So... 
I mean, 30% is not good, but it's going to move their average up. Suffice it to say, Caleb and RJ still aren't shooting great. I mean, you don't need the stats to tell you that, although it helps back it up, but you can see it as you watch a game. And then the other thing with the two guards is the fact that Carolina had multiple opportunities in the second half where they got the deficit down to single digits and then had a self-inflicted wound that would allow Indiana to go right back and get the lead to double digits. Um, the There was a huge one where Carolina was making this push, got the lead down to nine. That was the first time in the second half. And then Caleb turns it over. Carolina has the ball down nine. Caleb turns it over. IU run out layup back to 11. A um, couple minutes later, Carolina gets it down to seven at this point and has the ball. I mean, impressive to keep fighting like this. This game should have been a bigger blowout. RJ comes down and has a turnover. IU run out and then another basket and the lead's right back to 11. Down eight later on. Carolina once again has it back to single digits. Pull up deep two in transition. IU goes back to, and that was a miss. IU goes back down the court, makes two free throws. Boom, you're back to 10. And so there's just, again, it's all around, but to me, it's got to start with better and more efficient guard play. The last thing on our four corners recap of this game is if you watched Armando Baycott, something is wrong with his shoulder. It looked like there was a play early in the game um, when he was going for an offensive rebound and like maybe something got bent back weird with his shoulder. Um, need to check in with what uh, Coach Davis says. I'm recording this before I've seen his press conference. Just getting to it right after the game is over. So maybe he will say something and we'll learn more about it. But I mean, if you watched the game, Armando was grabbing at his shoulder throughout the game. His shot was clearly affected by it. Um, and so, it, I mean, I'm less concerned now about his lower body than I am his shoulder because it's a shooting arm. Um, but this dude is tough. He's a warrior. I mean, clearly you've seen that throughout his career. Still finished with a double-double. Has four now in his last five games after starting off the season. 0 for 3 in the dub-dub category. And by the way, Pete Nance had his first UNC double-double in this game all right well in in this uh loss anytime i do a shady stat of the game after a loss i want it to be something that helps show why carolina lost and in this case i want to go with points in the paint indiana more than doubled up north carolina in points in the paint 50 to 24 you ever think you'd hear that about a north carolina basketball team that they got doubled up in the paint well that's what happened and they did and uh, Indiana wins this game. Trace Jackson Davis was an absolute stud for Indiana in it. So with all this in mind, writing this three-game losing streak, the question I have that I've been asked by many people that now I'm starting to wrestle with myself is this. Given everything that's going on, is it time to consider a starting lineup change? I want to give you my thoughts, but before I do so, let me tell you, about that this episode is brought to you by Bet Online, which is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, they've got it all at Bet Online. Make sure you check out the line for North Carolina's matchup on Saturday with Clemson in the ACC championship game. They're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fixed. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about all the trends in action. Bet online where the game starts. So very seriously, I want to consider 
And I, I would love to know your thoughts on this. If you're watching the show today, would you leave a comment um, on, on your thoughts? Do you like the starting lineup as it is? Would you like to see a lineup change? For those of you listening, you know, you can shoot me a DM on Twitter, send us an email to the show, anything like that. So, so the lineup all season long, the starters have been set in stone. It's last year's, the, the four returning starters plus Pete Nance, basically filling in the Brady Manic role. And that in itself reminds us all, hopefully, do you remember that until Dawson Garcia went out with that injury that he suffered early in the Boston College, one of the, I can't remember if it was at Boston College or at Chapel Hill, but got hurt like two minutes into a game last season. And then Brady started starting and never came out of the starting lineup. I think it's easy to forget that that was the case. Actually, I think Brady might have started the first game of the season. For some reason, I don't remember what it was, but then Dawson started um, basically all the way up until he had that injury suffered. And then it was Brady Manic the rest of the way, and the rest is history as we know now. And I know that one was precipitated by an injury, not just by Coach Davis and the coaching staff saying, hey, I think we need to make a change. Um, this starting lineup has felt pretty set in stone. You remember last year coming into the season, we, we didn't know if coach Davis would start both RJ and Caleb as remember coach, coach Williams didn't do that. He had Kerwin and Caleb in the starting lineup the year prior. Um, although there were some games with, anyway, we don't need to get into all that and dwell on it because it doesn't matter to this conversation. The question is, is it worth considering a starting lineup change? And what I mean by that is that where I would go specifically with it is you don't make a change to the backcourt, although we, we need to see more from RJ and Caleb. You're still riding with them. You are not taking out Leaky Black. He is your best defender. And frankly, as I've said on the show, I think the most has been the most consistent player, although he didn't score against Indiana, has been your most consistent player so far this season. What I'm beginning to wonder is in this modern age of basketball, particularly given how Coach Davis wants to run his team, is it time to consider moving? We're not moving the ACC preseason player out of the year out of the starting lineup, are you? No, sir. Is it time to consider letting Pete Nance come off the bench and moving my vote, Puff Johnson, into the starting lineup? There is just a different level of not efficiency. I wouldn't say that yet because Carolina has not been efficient on offense there's just a different level. I'll, I'll go with energy that this team seems to have with Puff Johnson in the game. Part of that is because of how he plays. All the intangibles he brings to a court, all those non-box score type things, although he has been doing some more box score type things lately, particularly in that Alabama game, man. His numbers showed up. But there's just something that... Puff Johnson brings to a game, whether it's getting to the foul line, as he did a lot against Indiana, seven trips, I believe, made six of them. Whether it's getting on loose balls, which he does consistently, whether he's the best charge taker on the team. Leaky Black plays his defense with early preparation. Not that Puff doesn't do that, but Puff is great about positioning himself to be ready to draw a charge. And I, th I think we just see that the flow of, of this team is better when Armando and Pete aren't out there together. Now, maybe there comes a time as they learn each other better where they can figure out what that is and looks like. But right now, Caroline is trying to satisfy that by bringing one of them to the high post to help operate the offense. But all it does, if it's Mondo in the high post, 
uh, is getting him too far away from the basket and forcing him to dribble if he gets the ball, and it's just not a good, good look. So, again, last year, a lineup, a starting lineup change happened, and look at the result. It got you all the way to the national championship game. Hubert Davis, for all his nice guyedness, is when it comes to competition, he will stop at nothing to win. So he's not going to be loyal to keeping Pete Nansen just to keep Pete Nansen the starting lineup. Now, I'd, I'm not sold that this is what's necessary. However, I'm saying I think there has to be the consideration of is there a lineup change, a starting lineup change at hand? But there's also the potential when you think about it that part of the reason Puff Johnson brings so much of what he does is because he's coming off the bench. We've all seen this before in basketball, right? Where there's a player you think, man, look at everything he's doing or she's doing when she comes off the bench. And then you insert them into the starting lineup and it's just not the same. Maybe they're better at taking a couple minutes to diagnose how a game's unfolding. Maybe they just need to, you know what I'm saying? Like we've all seen that in basketball. And so there very much could be that reality with Puff Johnson or whomever else you might bring into the starting lineup. But I'd like to, I'd like to at least consider it. Again, I want to know your thoughts. Something else about playing time is I'm not all that surprised that Tyler Nichols not getting much playing time right now. Like it just wasn't something we expected. His freshman year, same with Will Shaver. Frankly, same with Justin McCoy. Demarco Dunn's getting more run than I thought he would. And you know whose run I think he's taking the place of? Dontrez. Dontrez's style is not seeing the court. The only time he's seen the court in the last three, four, five games was in the Alabama game out of almost necessity because of foul trouble. Let me suggest to you about Dontrez that there might be something going on. Keep your eyes out, your ears peeled, whatever that may be. Keep your ears out, your eyes peeled. You know what I mean. On that situation, is there something more than just Dontrez isn't playing? Or is it kind of a cyclical thing? He's not playing, so something's going on, or something's going on, so he's not playing. Just keep your ear to the ground on that. Now, obviously, we still have not seen Jalen Washington, and we anticipate him back at any time now. My thought, don't bring him back uh, against Indiana, as they didn't. Don't bring him back at Virginia Tech. It's just not a, a putting him in a position to win. My thought would be, uh, the earliest you would probably see him is, is at home against Georgia Tech a week after that Virginia Tech game. So is it time to shuffle the starting lineup? It might be worth a look at it. And my suggestion, get Pete Nance uh, as your sixth man coming off the bench. Bring Puff Johnson into the starting lineup. I think it's worth a shot. Now, another fear Carolina fans might be already having at this point, having lost these three straight in a row, are the Tar Heels now in danger of missing the NCAA tournament? Because that starts to roll steam pretty quick and pick up like a snowball. Are the Tar Heels going to make the NCAA tournament? <laughs> I'll give you my answer right after I remind you to make your second listen today, Locked On Sports Today. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights that only us at Locked On can provide you. Locked On Sports Today, available on YouTube and wherever else you get podcasts. All right, very seriously. Let's have this conversation. Is North Carolina, because of where they're at right now at 5-3, and three, in danger of missing the NCAA tournament? Uh, same thing as the last one. I want to hear your thoughts on this. I'm, I'm going to give you mine very succinctly, 
after I give you a second to think about your answer and comment. My answer? No. Now, have they hurt their potential seeding? 100% they have by not... I don't think losing to Alabama hurts you that much, and frankly, losing to Indiana doesn't hurt you that much. But like the Iowa State game, that that might be a seed bump or a seed drop, you know, as it were. And I, I think that's part of it too. Um, and so has Carolina's three losses right here put them in danger of losing uh, being in the NCAA tournament? I don't think so. And part of that is because of this. All three of these teams that they've lost to, even though it's been back to back to back, so that amplifies it, that, that in and of itself doesn't mean just because it feels like you're in the midst of it right now that you're missing out on the NCAA tournament. If these games were spread out, you wouldn't think that much of it, right? Does that make sense? I think it's just because they're all right here together that you've done it, that it happens. So when you look at these teams, like let's let's look up their, their Ken Palm numbers right now. Um, Alabama at Ken Palm is number 12 in the nation, right? Now, I know as the preseason number one team in the nation, you should slaughter all these teams or at least beat them firmly. And 100%, I agree with that, and I think they should. But the Tar Heels just, they're not right now the number one team in the nation, not playing like it and not showing it. And so they're not, quite frankly, I wouldn't be surprised now after what we saw against Indiana, if Carolina drops out of the top 25, I wonder if, how, if we've ever seen that before a number one team in the nation drop out of the top 25 this quickly. Anyway, Alabama is 12th at Ken Palm right now. Indiana, I believe is 11th right above them. No, Indiana's up to eight at Ken Palm now. And so like, yeah, you don't want to lose basketball games, but if you're just losing to the teams ranked 8th and 12th and at, at Ken Palm, and I think Iowa State is 48th, so that's not ideal. But it's definitely not like I think that's gonna be that's gonna be a quad one loss when we start getting all that quad talk again. And forgive me that we're gonna eventually be there. So I think that's the thing. You're not worried about these losses as losses that keep you out of the NCAA tournament. None of them are bad. In fact, because of how close you've kept them, because of the fact that you've been in them, like that's great. But the problem becomes if you never win any of these big games. You, you know what I mean? And that's kind of what Carolina dealt with last year. Up until they made that February one run, they hadn't beaten any tournament teams. They had a Michigan win in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, but Michigan fell off a cliff more than Carolina did last year. Speaking of the ACC Big Ten Challenge, somehow the ACC won this thing. And this is the very last year of the ACC Big Ten Challenge ever. North, uh, Not North Carolina, they lost, but the ACC pulled it out. Who cares? But, you know, conference pride, woo, whatever. So, but here's the thing for, for these Tar Heels right now. This three-game losing streak, I don't know if you've looked ahead at the schedule. I have. You want to hear what's coming? an opportunity in which Carolina could very much drop a fourth in a row because Sunday, the schedule does not get any easier. They head to Blacksburg to take on Virginia Tech. Now, if you think back to last year, that was the site Blacksburg was of a big turning moment for the Tar Heels um, where they're, they're getting on last year's run, uh, trying to come back from that loss to, to Pittsburgh at home, which was so bad that you didn't want to see. And as they get on that run, one of their big wins in that stretch was at Virginia 
Tech. There's versus Virginia Tech. I'm looking back at this. Oh, it was the very next game. So Carolina loses to Pittsburgh, and you're thinking at home, and you're thinking, boy, this team that's already bubblish is now even more so because of losing to Pittsburgh, which is like a quad two, quad three loss. And your next game, now you got to go to Virginia Tech and try to beat the Hokies. And Carolina went up there and beat them by eight points in Blacksburg, and that's what started them on that stretch. Um, because then one, two, three, four, five, six, six games they won in a row, starting with that game at Virginia Tech before they lost, <laughs> funnily enough, to Virginia Tech in the ACC tournament semifinals. So um, just like last year, Carolina has a big opportunity to go to Virginia Tech, even though it's a tough game, and kind of right the ship. And if you do that, you don't really get a reprieve after that. But after that, you have a week off till you host Georgia Tech for your second ACC game. And any ACC game is tough, but you shouldn't. I mean, Georgia Tech's lost to Utah, Marquette, and Iowa so far this season. And then after that, your next game is at home against the Citadel, who is the worst team the Tar Heels will play all season. It's the only team currently ranked outside of the Ken Palm 200. And so you feel like if you can get past Virginia Tech, you really put yourself in a great position to maybe win three in a row. And then after that, the schedule toughens up again. You go play Ohio State at Madison Square Garden in the CBS Sports Classic, and then Michigan in this inaugural jump Jumpman Classic. And so, and then right after that, you're into the ACC play the rest of the schedule. So, man, you really, really feel like you've got pressure to win this Virginia Tech game because if if this snowball keeps rolling, you do then start to worry about NCAA tournament um, and and where you're sitting at, will you make it? I think as Carolina, as long as Carolina continues to not take bad losses, they got to win the games they should, but they need to win. I mean, Carolina, that's the thing though. Even in saying that, I hear me saying it, that Carolina should be winning these games and that's what they need to do. And that's going to start on Sunday at Virginia Tech. Big turnaround. We need to see it from the Tar Heels. Hopefully Armando Baycott's shoulder's good to go. The team gets some sleep back in their own beds after being on the road for essentially over a week at this point. Well, friends, that's it for today's episode of Locked on Tar Heels coming off of a frustrating loss. Another team coming off a couple frustrating losses is the Carolina football team. On tomorrow's show, we've got an interview for you with Cedric Gray, Carolina's starting linebacker, the third leading tackler in the nation, and a newly minted first team All-ACC player you can follow the show on twitter at locked on heels you can follow me at isaac shade if you've enjoyed this show if it's helped grow your knowledge of the tar heels would you consider subscribing to the show that would mean so much to us really helps out uh, with all the youtube algorithms and all that kind of stuff would really really appreciate it thanks for making locked on tar heels your first listen for your next listen check out locked on sports today Biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and of course, the take of the day. It's available on Odyssey YouTube and anywhere else you get podcasts. Really means a lot to me that you would spend part of your Thursday hanging out, listening even after a loss or watching whatever it may be. And I want to remind you, even in the midst of a three-game losing streak, it's always a great day to be a Tar Heel. Right? Right. (laughs) Until tomorrow. Peace. Peace.